This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Tuesday morning, everybody. This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I am Christy Landwehr from Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for this Tuesday, October 20th, 2020, episode 2543. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. Feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? How do I get Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. up on today's show, Michelle Bonds is going to join us from the Mustang Heritage Foundation, and she's going to discuss the trainer incentive program and other stuff. And then Dr. Bob Coleman comes back. He's a regular here on the CHA show, and he's going to be talking about how your local 4-H club can be a great resource for equestrians. And then CHA certified instructor Courtney Smith is going to be talking about teaching the boring yet important stuff in not so boring a way. Welcome back, Christy. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm great. The third Tuesday of the month, Christy stops by and we talk and talk about horse training, talk about riding instructors, how to be a great one, how to have great riding horses, all that good stuff. Um, And we catch up on your travels because even in 2020, you're out and about a lot. So what have you been up to at CHA? Well, I'll tell you, I am actually going to go with my husband, John, to the National Finals Rodeo. Really? Yes. So it is in December and Vegas no longer has it. It is now going to be in Fort Worth, Texas. Is it going to be in Fort Worth permanently or just this year? Do you know? Well, we don't know yet. Okay. Depends, I guess, on how they do. So um, Kristen Jaworski runs the, she's the herd manager for the stockyards where they have the longhorns go down. Mm -hmm. And she is my incoming president after Dr. Bob Coleman, who's our current CHA president in two weeks, actually, he'll be our president. And so my husband and I, so we can go down there and help you for finals weekend and kind of see what's going on. So we're going to go there and do a little recon mission, check out how a big event is handling COVID, just check it all out. So we're excited to go. We're going to go for two nights, three days, and I'll let you know, there'll be a lot to talk about in the December show. Have you been to the national finals rodeo before? Yes, he and I went again and spent a week in Vegas, and I am not a Vegas girl. That's that's not really my deal. And boy, when the Cowboys are in town, it became my deal. I <laughs> liked it a lot. It was great fun. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I I can't wait to hear about it next month. Well, you can give me the the rundown of how it all went. Yes, we are really excited about going and checking it out. Cool. Now. Fundraising has been a challenge for every organization in the year 2020, and if you're listening to this episode. In 2025, all you need to do is Google on your virtual Google machine. Who knows what that's going to be in the year 2025. Just put (laughs) down the year 2020 and you'll find all kinds of great hits and you'll understand what we're talking about. So, (laughs) Yes. What's this about a silent auction? What's going on there? Yeah, so we're doing our first virtual one and I'll tell you, I think it might stick. Really? I think we might continue to do them virtually. Yes. So easier to get donations, I think, because the donors think it's going to go further than just your reach of 300 people that come to your event. Because, you know, many, many people are going to look at this auction. It's a very pretty auction. They get to put photos up of their item. They get to have a description that goes on and on and on. So the supplement guy was happy about that. He wanted his description to go on and on and on. So that was great. I mean, there's just a lot of really good stuff about the platform. And I uh, highly recommend those of you that 
want to do a silent auction, yeah, give virtual a try. It's been it's been okay. But then on the other end of the coin, I'm doing a virtual board meeting this week. Next week I have a virtual annual meeting. Next week I have a virtual award ceremony and a virtual conference. So talk to me after that and I'll let you know how that's going to go. I'm pretty yeah. sure I want to get back to person for all that. Yes, there's there is and we talk about this a lot, the horse industry, as well as probably most others, still work on relationships that happen person to person, eye to eye, sharing the same real room, not just virtual. So yeah, I'm I'm going to be happy when we get back to being able to go to these meetings and the conferences and stuff like that. Yeah. I agree because it was such a pleasure having you at ours and I just want that connection again. But for those that are listening, we do have the virtual conference. It is going to be on um, October the 30th. And what's neat about it is it's never been cheaper. You don't have to fly. You don't have to pay for food. You don't have to pay for anything. See, that's um, the advantage. Yeah, that is the advantage. And so it's not a bad price at all. It's $95 for the whole day for you that are listening because you put HRN for Horse Radio Network in the priority code box and you're going to get the CHA member discount. And that also includes the recording later that you can listen to as many times as you would like and share it with other people at your barn. And we're very open to all that. Even if you're not available to virtually attend during the hours of the event, you can still get the recording by getting your virtual ticket. That's very smart. Yes. And that's that's a good thing because we know that not everyone has that opportunity to be able to spend the whole day with us. Um, obviously, if you get on an airplane and commit, that's one thing. But if you uh, don't do that and you're just kind of still have life around you going on, we know that you can maybe hop in for a little bit and have to hop out. Well, we want you to be able to hop in for the whole thing. So you can hop in for the whole thing anytime you want. So how how does one find out about all this stuff? Where do I go online? Just go to CHA.horse and click on International Conference button at the top, and uh, it'll come up, and you can register there and put your priority code in, and you'll get the tentative schedule. I say tentative because, you know, it is still a human world. Things can still go awry, (laughs) but hopefully it's the schedule that's supposed to be, Um, and uh, we'll love to have you join us. So do I go to the same place for the silent auction? You do. You go to CHA.horse, and you'll click on um there's a donate button and it says silent auction and you'll be able to go and check out the silent auction. We also, you can find it on Facebook too, just CHA instructors on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. It's on all the places, Instagram, it's everywhere. Yeah. If you, if you can manage to type out certified horsemanship association, all the words and all the letters on your search bar, the links pop up. You guys have great SEO because you've been around since 1901. We've, <laughs> we've been a while, around a little while, yes. <laughs> so everybody can find you. It's not one of those organizations where you have to dig deep to get, get around to any uh, social media or website links. So lots of things going on at the CHA. As usual, you guys are always at the forefront of um, putting educational opportunities forward for equestrians who are teaching, equestrians who are training, equestrians who are learning. Uh, and that pretty much covers all equestrians, those three categories. That's correct. That's correct. So come join us. Yeah, there we go. So coming up, our first guest, Michelle Bonds with the Mustang Heritage Association. She's one of those equestrians who's in te- in charge of teaching, I guess, because she's disseminating information about Mustangs and how to get a hold of one, how to take good care of one, all the opportunities to train one. So let's get her on the line. Great. And while you're calling, um, I'll go ahead and just do a quick bio on her. So the Mustang Heritage Foundation is a 501c3 not-for-profit dedicated to placing wild horses and burros into private care and homes through innovative programs and events. Some of the programs include the Extreme Mustang Makeover, the Trainer Incentive Program, and more. Working in partnership with the Borough of Land Management, the Mustang Heritage Foundation has placed more than 15,000 Mustangs into private care since 2007. We're going to be speaking with Michelle Bonds today, who's their director of marketing, and she's going to be talking more about their trainer incentive program. All right. She's ringing. Here comes Michelle. It's like um, the price is right. Come on down. That's right. (laughs) Hello. Hi, Michelle. It's Christy and Jen from Horses in the Morning. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Wonderful. Well, we just introduced you, and now we're going to launch right in and begin chatting with you. How does that sound? That sounds perfect. 
So, Michelle, first of all, can you let everyone know where we're calling today? Where where are we calling you and um, how's everything going in your neck of the woods? Um, so I am in Amarillo, Texas. Um, it is windy as usual, um, but <laughs> going well. <laughs> Very good. I must admit, when I have to go there sometimes for different things, yeah, the wind does blow. It does. Yes, it certainly does. <laughs> and we're out on the prairie, too. I live in um, the prairie of Colorado, definitely not the mountains. I think I have one cottonwood tree and one Russian olive, you know, pretty oh. much on the whole property. So <laughs> I also have a lot of wind, so I can I can appreciate that. So right. let us... Tell us about the um, Mustang Heritage Foundation, a little bit more than what I just spoke about in the intro, um, and then we'll jump right into this trainer's incentive program you have. Sure. So um, the Mustang Heritage Foundation um, was established in 2007, and our mission is truly to just place um, Mustangs, wild wild horses, Mustangs, and burros into private care. Um, so these are animals that have been removed from public lands by the Bureau of Land Management um, and are in holding facilities. Um, and those, so our goal is to just help reduce that population that is in holding and get those animals into private care, into adoptive homes, into loving homes. Um, yeah. Well, and I love all of your ideas, like the Extreme Mustang Makeover. Most of us listening have heard of that. You know, that's wonderful. And um, yes. now your new trainer incentive program, what is that all about? Yeah, so the trainer incentive program is a, a great program to really help us um, sort of augment the the Extreme Mustang Makeover and continue placing um, animals throughout the year. We obviously have several Extreme Mustang Makeovers, um, but we can't have those all the time. So this is a great program that engages talented trainers to help us place those animals. Um, we've really learned that um, our trainers are the people that they, they have the networks. So they, they know the, um, the people that are looking to adopt, people that are looking to um, maybe get another horse, looking for a new a new partner on the trail. Um, so this program engages those trainers. Um, we approve them. They do have to be approved. And then they are paid um, to gentle and adopt out um, wild horses and, and burrows. That is so good. So how do I qualify to do that? Like, how does, how does that work? How do you make sure that that person is going to be good with that animal? Yeah, so we actually have an application process. So anyone over the age of 18 is eligible to apply. Um, you do have to fill out our application. You have to provide re references. Um, you can kind of go through an interview process. Um, and then you also have to provide documentation of your facilities. Obviously, it's really important to us that these animals are kept in safe environments um, where, where where they'll be taken care of, where they're healthy. Um, this is a big change for uh, obviously all of these animals. They've been in the wild or they've been in holding. Um, so we want to make sure that they are, they're well cared for. Um, so yeah, so you, there's an application. It can be filled out online and um, kind of go through a little mini interview process, provide references, and then docu documentation of those facilities. So I said you, I noticed that you said that you pay them to be gentled. So what is gentled? Is that loading a trailer, pick their feet? Is what is, what is gentled exactly? Yeah. So gentled um, for us just really means that they can be handled on the ground, um, that you can perform basic um, husbandry um, tasks with them. So picking their feet, um, brushing them. So for the actual gentling requirements, they have to be able to load in and out of a trailer. Um, you do have to be able to halter and lead them, pick up all four feet, um, and, and just be able to basically be around them on the ground and, and handle them. Obviously, those are those are really important um, skills for those animals to have as they move on to their new home. We want to ensure that people are able to handle them, and if you know they need the farrier to come or they need their teeth loaded or you know things like that that those um, professionals can, can come in and easily perform those tasks as well. Very good. So the trainer doesn't have to necessarily ride them and make them rideable. It's more groundwork? Correct. It is groundwork. So there is not any um, saddling requirements or riding requirements um, to be considered gentled. Very good. And how long does um, a person have to gentle an animal, one of these trainers? 
So trainers have up to 90 days to complete all of the gentling requirements and get the animal adopted out. Every animal is different, um, so they will take different um, amounts of time. Some some animals may take 30 days, some may take 15 days. Um, trainers do have to keep them for a minimum of 10 days um, and then sort of that maximum of 90 days. I like that. So you had mentioned compensation. So how much does somebody get paid per animal and what is their financial commitment back to the animal? Yeah, of course. Um, so upon this successful adoption of each animal, um, the trainer is actually paid for wild mustangs it is, um, or wild horses. It is $1,000. And then for burrows, it is $750. Um, tip trainers are financially responsible for the animal while it is at their facility and while it is in training. So if there are any costs associated with transportation or feed, um, you know, the vet or farrier, they are responsible for those costs. Um, but after they complete those adoption requirements, um, they will be paid from MHS the $1,000 for, for the uh, Mustangs and the $750 for the burrows. Okay, very good. And then where do the trainers get their wild horses and burros? Are there holding facilities kind of around the country really near them that they have to drive to and pick up the animal or do you ship it directly to them? How does all that work? So um, tip trainers do pick up the animals, um, so they will have to also have, you know, a trailer that is um, safe for that animal, um, and you can kind of learn about those requirements on, on our website as well. Um, and then they can pick up from tip storefronts. So tip storefronts are, are, are trainers that um, have the facilities to house um, a large number of animals. Um, so tip storefronts, BM, BLM um, holding facilities, um, BLM also holds adoption events so they can get those animals from there. Um, you can actually find a map of all of those facilities on our website um, at mustangheritagefoundation.org and um, the Bureau of Land Management website as well. Very good. And you said the facility had some certain requirements. So are we talking pasture? Are we talking stalls? Are we talking all of the above? How, how does all that work? Um, really, they just have to provide a minimum of 400 square feet for each animal. So that's about a 20 by 20 area. Um, it must be enclosed by a fence of um, six feet for wild for um, mustangs and five feet for burrows. And then um, the pins just have to be um, constructed of a sturdy material. So, so whether that's pipe or plank or, you know, whatever it is, it just cannot be barbed wire and it can't be electric fencing. Yeah, they wouldn't understand. And then obviously the animals. Is. No, they would not. So that would not, that would be definitely not, not good for those um, animals. Um, yes. And then they obviously, you know, have to have access to water and, and things like that as well. And are you looking for people that have full-blown indoor arenas, outdoor arenas, round pens? What do you need as far as that goes? Nope. As long as you have, um, you know, as long as you have a facility that you feel um, is safe to do the training in, um, a lot of our trainers do have round pens, but certainly um, we have 420, around 430 trainers right now. Um, so certainly not every trainer is going to have um, an indoor arena or even an outdoor arena. Um, just as long as you feel that you have a, you have a, a space that's safe um, to work with that animal. And then what do you require as far as tack? Like, is there certain things that you want to make sure that they're doing? Um, I, I know that they don't necessarily ride them. So do they really just need like a rope halter? Um, what are, what, what are some of those requirements? Yeah, so um, really just that, that halter and lead rope are really the only, um, I would say, tack or equipment requirements. Um, some, it just depends on the trainer. Some trainers like to um, take them a little further and maybe they'll have them used to having a saddle pad on their back or, you know, something like that. But that is certainly not a requirement. Um, really, the only requirement is that, um, that halter and lead. I have a question, if you don't mind. Um, is there a required time frame that when a trainer gets a particular animal in that they have to have it suitably trained with these skills that it's available for adoption or is that something that's a little more up to the trainer yeah so that is that 90 days um that that's 
sort of the requirement, um, the 90-day sort of maximum. So um, ideally, we'd like to see the animals um, gentled and adopted and into their new home within that 90 days. The trainers do have to keep them for a minimum of 10 days. Um, you know, every it, it's really neat to see these um, see these animals. Um, I've actually been out to a couple of tip trainers facilities um, and to see these animals, and they're all so different. You know, they're just very similar to domestic horses. They all have different personalities. Um, so some of them take very quickly, um, and they are ready to go and are ready to be adopted out in you know 15 days. And then some of them take a little bit longer, um, and you may be looking at 60 days. Um, so yes, yeah, sort of that. 90 days is ideal to have them adopted out by though. So when a trainer has a horse or a burrow that he feel he or she feels is ready to be adopted out, are there um, guidelines, stipulations, requirements on how they make that happen, how they present the animal to the public? Are they allowed to put it on, are they allowed to advertise it any way they want? Do they have to say it's a tip horse or anything like that? Yeah, so um, they do, um, there is sort of an application process um, for adoption as well. Um, and that, that's just um, a very simple process, um, you know, basically saying that you do have the facilities to, you know, house an animal. Um, and then they are actually able to adopt those animals out any way that, that they can. So we see a lot of our trainers that have um their own social media pages, um, sort of like business pages that they put all of their animals on there. Um, we actually have a tip trainer um, Facebook page that a, a group where um, interested, so trainers can actually post their animals in there and then interested adopters can find those animals in there. Um, we see, you know, trainers just sort of take the mustangs to or the burrows to events and adopt them out that way. Um, really just like you would, um, sell any other domestic horse as well. Um, any of those, um, any of those methods work just as well for our tip trainers. And Michelle, is there a minimum and a maximum number of horses that a tip trainer can have at one time? Yes. So that, um, does depend on their, um, facility. Um, so once they turn in their application, um, and turn in the details of their facilities and their property, um, they will be, um, we'll let them know that they're approved and then we'll let them know how many horses they are approved to, to hold at one time. So typically it's between one and four horses or burrows. Um, and then, like you said, our, we have the tip storefronts as well. And those are, trainers that have really kind of proven themselves as tip trainers and they do have the facility to hold um, larger numbers. So those, um, those facilities typically hold between 15 to 25 animals. Great. What a really good program. I'm so excited that you guys are doing this program and especially now when the extreme Mustang makeover is probably a little bit harder to run um, in yes. certain areas of the country, depending on where you are. So that is just great. So how can folks um, find out more? Can you give us um, your social media and your website and things, Michelle? Yeah. So um, our website is mustangheritagefoundation.org. Um, you can obviously find us on Instagram, um, Facebook, um, under Mustang Heritage Foundation. And then also we have our Extreme Mustang Makeover pages as well. Um, we do have an Extreme Mustang Makeover coming up um, November 11th through the 15th. Um, it will be virtually, and we will be doing an online auction for those horses participating in that event. Um, so you can find all of those details um, at mustangheritagefoundation.org um, and extrememustangmakeover.com. That is so great. I have a student right now, Michelle. She's been taking lessons with me since she was about 13, and she's graduating from uh -huh. college, and she um, owns an older horse, but he's getting up there. You know, he's in his 20s now, and she was thinking that might be the time for her to go ahead and adopt, and, you know, she's one of those very calm yeah. personality styles. I think she'd do great, so I'm going to let uh -huh. her know about your event on the 11th to 15th. That's great. Yes, the horses are available for viewing on our website right now, and there are some great horses. Um, we have some fantastic trainers, um, so I would definitely encourage anybody that's interested to check those out. That is wonderful. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate Mustang Heritage Foundation and all that you do, and I am so excited because I've known you for a while, and it's so much fun yes. to reconnect with you and your new position. I love this. Yes, I love it too. Thank you so much for having us on. Thanks, Michelle. You have a good rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Bye, Michelle.
Bye. Cool. I'm glad they're doing that. I know that the tip, the tip program, they basically got filled up. They ran out of places for about money to do tip horses. And I'm glad it's back uh, going like gangbusters again. It's a very popular program. Yeah. And exciting too. Yeah. All right. Chock-a-block full show today on the Certified Horsemanship Association monthly episode. And who's coming up next? So next, we have Dr. Bob Coleman. He grew up in Western Canada and has had a lifelong interest in horses. Dr. Bob earned his PhD at the University of Alberta with a focus in equine nutrition. Then he moved to the University of Kentucky as the equine extension specialist, where he teaches equine science and management. He is the chairman of the American Quarter Horse Foundation Research Committee and has served on the executive committee of the Kentucky Quarter Horse Association. Dr. Bob is our current president-elect and going to be my boss in like two weeks because he's becoming our president. Yes, and he's also a site visitor trainer for us that supports the CHA site accreditation program. All right. He's got quite the uh, resume, Dr. Bob. He has quite a bit going on. We're Dr. Bob. There's I. Dr. Oh, you've met Dr. Hello. Bob. There's Dr. Bob now. Hi, Dr. Yep. Bob. It's Jen and Christy. How are you, Jen and Christy? We are good. We're good. Jen and I were reminiscing when she met you and interviewed you uh, with Glenn in Kentucky oh, for, right. during our conference that one year. That was so much fun, the conference. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. That was a good time. We did time. have fun, didn't we? Has to be. CHA. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> fun to go home. <laughs> safe fun and effective dr bob yep how we and roll fun's always in cap- funds in capital letters <laughs> that's right with an exclamation point after it <laughs> yeah i actually i actually read a uh, article out of a magazine this morning and and that was uh the underlying process for uh this instructor in his first time riders. Now he's not a CHA instructor, but it was like, well, you would fit. You would fit. We need to start recruiting. We need to Google anybody that puts fun and horses together. We got to call them up and go, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yep. (laughs) So Dr. Bob, tell us a little bit about where you're calling in from today and how everything's going there. Are you at your home in Kentucky? No, I'm actually on campus today. Nice. um, Because I get to teach today, so I, I come to campus a couple of days a week, um, and it was pleasant this morning, a pleasant drive in. We were getting some rain, uh, pretty heavy rain at times, but uh, we could certainly use it, and uh, the biggest problem is you always just got to watch out for everybody else when it's raining, and they sometimes forget that the roads do fill up with water, but <laughs> all good pretty quiet on campus because of um, all of the the guidelines that everybody has to follow, but doing all right. Well, I wish that we could take some of that rain. We still have the fires going on, um, obviously, here out west, and depending on which way the wind blows depends on whether or not we smell the smoke that particular day. So it's been it's been an adventure. So I'm hoping this is the first time in a long time that I've wanted uh, winter to hurry up and get here, just because we need the moisture so much. Well, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of us that actually need to to realize that, and and uh, I know we don't like it to snow or we don't like it to rain because it maybe inconveniences us. But at the end of the day, we need the moisture, uh, regardless of where you live. So. We want those hay prices to stay down, don't we, Dr. Bob? Oh, yeah. And and when you start to see that those areas that rely on a lot of uh, winter wheat pastures and going a little longer before they feed hay, uh, they're talking about not having those pastures. So that is going to have a significant impact on hay prices. And, and hay is a mobile commodity. We tend to forget that, but, you know, we, we can put bales of uh, hay on a truck and send it across the country if we need to. Very and true. And, and, and done more often than not, I think, these days, too. Very much so. Very much so. 
So, Dr. Bob, Jen and I were talking before the show about just 4-H in general and how it's an interesting organization that you don't hear much from the national, right? It's all about the grassroots, and a lot of that takes place at extension offices around the country at land-grant institutions. Could you explain a little bit more about the 4-H structure and process? So, because it does vary from state to state, but yes, it's part of the land-grant mission. Um, We do have the national... 4-H that has some uh, control. I don't know if that's the right word, but do you know have some things that we get to to follow? But then it really does come down to the to the land grant institution and how they structure their 4-H, and then how they structure their 4-H program as it goes to the counties. So if there's county offices, they may have a county 4-H agent that works with the 4-H program in that county. Uh, there may be some specialists and some other people on campus that support that, but it, it does vary a great deal. And, and when you think about it, that 4-H agent at a county level could have to look after all of the 4-H projects. So we're talking everywhere from sewing, shooting sports, horses, dogs and cats, um, a tremendous amount of uh, content that they need to sort of have some level of understanding and be able to to organize it. And then it, it goes one step further from a, a grassroots standpoint, and that really comes down to the volunteer leadership within a county that will host and look after the 4-H program. So they have a lot of things that they have to do in order to complete the program and provide something for the youth to come and, and participate in. And while this might not sound very positive, uh, typically we have a lot of people that you know want to help, um, but their level of skill set within the subject area, uh, there's not a, a minimum standard that has to happen for that. They need to be willing to step up and help out and and run the, the club and whether or not they're actually the ones that do all the teaching or not is going to depend on the person. And certainly what they can do depends on the person. So, you know, a 4-H experience in Colorado and a 4-H experience in Kentucky, while it's a 4-H experience, um, exactly what it looks like could be quite different. And, And I see that here in Kentucky where we'll have, you know, some clubs that are pretty strong in a certain discipline um, because that's who's there to support it, whether it be volunteer leaders or um, local people that are, you know, professionals in the industry that come and help out. So uh, highly variable, uh, a great program, but certainly uh, I think there's a lot of places where those that are involved uh, are always continually looking for help. You exactly talked about my journey. So I was not in 4-H as a kid because we didn't know about it. My family didn't know about it. Grew up very urban in California. Came to Colorado, found out more about it, and then had two boys. And the two boys got very involved when they were just clover buds, which is under eight. And then got to start working with animals when they were eight. And we chose a club that's further from us than our local club because it had more leaders. And we wanted that volunteer support from others that hopefully knew more about things because my boys did not pick horses when they first started. Dr. Bob and Jen, oh no, they picked poultry, they picked rabbits, they picked (laughs) leather work, they picked cake decorating, they picked things that I have no clue about any of that, none of that. And I thought, oh, I cannot do any of this. So we found a really large club called Antelope Crossing in Arapahoe County that actually has a lot of leaders. So you're right, Bob, even um, within your own local, you know, 20 mile radius, 4-H can be very different depending on the different clubs. And there is a little bit of research that needs to be done by the parents um, before they decide which club might work for their family. Absolutely. And also, because uh, my journey was the same. We started the club when I was growing up. And it's a little bit different in Canada than it is here. but. Um, we had four moms that stepped up and said, yep, we'll do this. Um, between the four of them, they might've been able to put a halter on <laughs> and that was it. Yep. But it was like, we will figure out how to get this done because you kids need this. So 
Um, I think that's exciting. And, and when I think about it and sort of looking back, uh, our early leaders would have loved CHA um, from the standpoint of the things that are available to them, uh, the connection to industry professionals that could have helped. Um, we have the two standard 4-H manuals. Um, I'm not sure they've changed much since then, and I'm not going to say the year because that dates me. But <laughs> uh, that's that's what was available. Um, and now when we're looking and we're, we're looking for information, um, I think a lot of people want something that has some degree of um, a stamp of approval, so to speak, that, oh, here's something that, you know, it's from a group that's been around for a while. Um, maybe it's, you know, something that uh, is a little broader um, and that we can take it. Does it mean it's the, the place that you stop? No, but it needs to be a good place to start. And then as you learn more and you start to evaluate information, um, you can say, yep, I like this, but. I need to go a step further. Where can I go? And again, um, having a, an organization that, that does identify people through certification, uh, that certainly can be a help. And, and I think that as we move forward in the horse industry and new people join that are um, maybe don't have the background, um, don't come from a rural uh, experience in growing up, uh, they're looking for a little bit more and certainly other areas of young people's lives do have certification attached to the instructors that teach them, whether it be soccer or baseball. Um, you know, we're looking for people that certainly have done it, but we also want people that know how to educate and, uh, that becomes a big challenge. And certainly, you know, there, there is a lot of material out there. Um, sometimes I think that you look at some of the, the manuals that are there and, you know, when, when you buy one and there's one that I have at my office at home, um, it's a great source of information, but it's two four inch binders. And, and when I look at it, cause I think I need to look something up, it's like, Oh, this is going to take longer than it should. But I use it because it does come with a little bit of a stamp of approval. But, you know, most of the time um, I use my CHA manuals. I use them in, in teaching at the University of Kentucky. Um, do I always use the information? Sort of, but generally it's that, oh, this is a good way to explain this. Or I will go on the website and watch some of the YouTube videos and I think I know how to put a halter on. I think I know how to do a safety check, but I watch those to remind myself to do everything that I should do. And, um, I think a lot of times <clears throat> that's, you know, people are sort of look at things and say, well, who is the, the expert, um, go and look at things. And oftentimes you can, you know, look at, at something, say, well, I know how to do that. Good. Um, just see how somebody else does it. Maybe there is a better way to show and demonstrate what you know, because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that um, they can train a horse, but can they train a person? It's not the same. There's some similarities, but it's not the same. And uh, we, we need to understand some of that. And I think a lot of those people that want to help the 4-H program, one of the things that they need is readily available, succinct quality information so that they can look at it, they can digest it, they can either take the video with them, they can use the link, however they want to do it. But it has to be something that's fairly accessible because, um, if my life is, and hopefully it's not a good example, but it's probably a bad example, is that we run out of time. Um, there's only 24 hours in a day. We've got other things that we have to do. And while we're trying to do a really good job for whatever group we're working with, 
if there's a way that we could expedite that a little bit by having material that's, that is available, um, I think that can certainly help. So, Dr. Bob, that brings up an interesting question. Um, I'm sure extension agents probably have to have continuing ed because it's their job. But do leaders that are all volunteers in 4-H, do they have to have continuing ed? It, it depends on the program. goes right okay. back to the first question. Um, so, yes, some of them do. Um, how much uh, is highly variable? Um, I've seen anywhere from two to four hours of continuing ed a year. And what that continuing ed might look like, um, probably that they went and, and got educated on something. Does it always translate to something they might offer to their 4-H club? Uh, I'm not sure. So I think uh, that becomes an, an issue. And, and again, because they're volunteers, I know there are some programs here in Kentucky, the, the leaders are certified, but they're certified in, in dealing with, with the youth more than with content. Right. So background and checks so the, and things like that yeah. and how, oh, got it. Okay. You know, and understanding, oh, this, um, Sally's a visual learner and Billy's a different kind of learner and understanding some of that, those I concepts, understand. which is good. We all need to know that, but when it comes to the content part, um, it's hard to keep everybody up with that. And, and a lot of times it's, um, they're left on to the, on their own devices. But I think that when there's association, and again, coming back to CHA, where there are webinars, where there are activities that are content loaded, no question about it, um, that they could go and do some of that. And I think that's probably something that from a CHA perspective, we might need to do a better job of uh, letting the, the people across the country know this is what we're doing. And if you have people in 4-H programs, leaders um, that need this, here's where they can get it. And here's how we can help you help the people that are doing your programs. Sounds well, kind of simplistic because it is. It's just connecting the dots. Dr. Bob, I just find that all very interesting and I'll go ahead and just jump right in right now and start the marketing process. Um, we do provide all 4-H leaders that can verify that they are involved in 4-H our CHA manuals at the CHA member price, which is quite a bit less than the non-member price. So, Yes, I agree. I think um, that there is so many resources out there. And thank you for mentioning how many are on our Certified Horsemanship Association website and that's CHA.horse for those that are listening that are into 4-H. Many, many videos, many, many webinars and other things that are free for you to use. Um, some obviously do cost some money, but a lot of info, not to mention just instructors and things near you that might be able to come in. And a lot of us volunteer our time. Um, I have volunteered my time to work. I can't be a leader. That's a little bit too much. Um, to do with everything else going on. But I do volunteer. And right before our county fair, I do go and do um, some Western work with the Western riders, some English work with the English riders, some jumping work with the jumping riders. And I make it like a half day thing. And it's always fun. And I just love doing it. So I think that there's a bunch of other probably professionals um, near you that would also help for those 4-H leaders that want something like that. We might not necessarily be able to become your full-blown leader, but we would certainly like to still help and come and do um, some free seminars and things every now and then. And, and I, I think that there's a lot of professionals in the industry that are willing to, to help out, um, provide some guidance and do some things. I think on the other side of it, though, as the, the people asking, we need to make sure that we don't ask too much. Um, as you said, you know, they can't maybe be leaders, but... Uh, Maybe there's some places that they could help. Even as simple as going to a trainer's for a Saturday morning and watching them um, prepare a horse to lunge, um, having that conversation. I mean, I think there's so many things, but um, when you look at, at the videos that are up uh, on the CHA website, there's just a tremendous amount of uh, great information 
But the thing I like about it the best is it's a really interesting way to see how to deliver the information. Um, I know when I go to other conferences, I'm always certainly interested in the content of the speaker, but I'm also really interested in how they deliver it. How did, what kind of examples did they use? What sort of nuances did they bring to the table that all of a sudden made that piece of information so easily understood? And uh, I, th- I just think there's so many things that we can can look at and and uh, make people aware of and, and go ahead and use it. And yes, I noticed that when I was on the website today, it told me that I have been on three times in the last two days, but that's because I've been getting ready for class. So um, I do go and look at things. And uh, that's a good thing. Remind people. Yeah, it's we a like good that. Thing. I mean, go look. Um, well, and for those the, that don't uh, know much about 4-H, oh my goodness, um, I just want to kind of wrap up with check it out. It is not just about the livestock. I am shocked at how many projects there are. It just goes on and on and on. There's filmmaking, there's leadership, there's ceramics, there's pottery, there's sewing. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And it's it's phenomenal for young people. And, you know, clover buds can start really young. And then, of course, you can't start working with animals till you're eight, but you can go all the way up until you're 18, 19 years old. And there's a lot of scholarships. I mean, my boys are in high school now, so I'm starting to think about the money for the college. So uh, there's a lot of scholarships involved. They can learn about being our parliamentarian. Dr. Bob, you're our parliamentarian. And there's a lot of that type of work and running 4-H meetings, the kids run the meetings, the parents don't, and in, in a good club, right? That That's how it works, and yep. it's just phenomenal. So, Dr. Bob, how can people find out more about 4-H in general, and how can they find out more about you? Um, I don't know how, how they find out about me, because I, I don't have a very active web page on our College of Ag Animal Science, but if they just uh, go to the College of Agriculture at the University of Kentucky and uh, search through people, they can find me that way. But from a 4-H perspective, I would just Google 4-H um, and county contact where you live um, or Google the state extension service and seek out 4-H. And it, they most of the times it comes up pretty easily uh, and give them a call and find out what's available locally um, because, yeah, they're the projects are one thing. It's all the other things that they learn, how to speak, how to run a meeting, how to work together, how to problem solve. The list is absolutely phenomenal. Um, the project's actually important, but it's generally used to do all those other things. So, True. Uh, yeah, we, we learn how to do some things that when are we going to need it? I don't know. Probably be a Tuesday, but they'll learn a lot of good stuff. Well, Dr. Bob, thank you so much for coming on today. We really appreciate it. And of course, uh, I will be talking to you again very soon because I know you will definitely be on our virtual conference. If you want to learn more about this topic and a lot more specifics, Dr. Bob will be doing a PowerPoint presentation next Friday during our virtual conference. So thanks again for being on today. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Bob. You're welcome. Now now I get to run to class. There you go. With my horse head attached to a slide projector stand. Awesome. So much fun. Yep. All right. Bye. Bye. Very interesting that Dr. Bob mentioned how the presentation of any given bit of information has a lot to do with how it's taken in. You can take a really interesting subject and make it boring. But in the case of our next guest... You can take a really boring topic and make it interesting. Just the opposite. So Courtney Smith is going to be on next. She's from Tennessee. She holds a master's degree in equine education and coaching from Middle Tennessee State University. She is the owner of Need a Hand Horse Training, where she enjoys training horses, competing, teaching clinics, and coaching youth and adults from local to national levels. She coaches an Interscholastic Equestrian Association team and is involved in multiple organizations, such as the Tennessee State 4-H Horse Show Committee and a board member for the Tennessee Stock Horse Association. Courtney is also a CHA certified instructor with us and one of our state reps. Hi, Courtney. Welcome to the show with Jen and I. Hello. 
So good to have you on today. What's going on in Tennessee right now? Oh, well, we're enjoying fall weather finally. So we're finally getting a break from some heat and humidity. So that's been a blessing for all of us horse people. So we're excited about that. And the fall colors are coming in, leaves are changing, and horse shows are happening. So we're, we're doing pretty good. So you know what I think about with you? I reminisce to back in the good old days in February when I came out there to the Southern Equine Expo in Tennessee and got to see you in person. And then not even two weeks later, everything changed. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes, it did. (laughs) And if you would have told me then when we were hanging out at the CHA booth at that event that all of this would have happened, I would have said, you are crazy. And well, look at us go. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Here we are now. (laughs) Yes. So I love what the workshop you're going to do for us next Friday. And I love that we're going to tease it a little bit today because I, in your journey as an instructor and a trainer for this many years, I would find, I'm going to find it very interesting and what you deem to be the boring stuff and how you make it not so boring. So what do your students think the boring stuff is in learning about horses? Well, for the majority of our students, boring stuff is anytime we aren't riding in a lesson. Uh, So if they're not riding a horse, then it's boring. (laughs) 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 So one of the things that I have kind of come up with is that we've got to try to find a way to teach those important fundamentals and just horsemanship from nutrition and parts of the horse and parts of the tack to help care for the horse in a fun and interesting and engaging way. So when they come for a lesson and it is a rainy day or thunderstorms or, you know, Tennessee is, has bipolar weather. So we could be 80 degrees one day and the next day it could be 30. We just never know. (laughs) So we've had to kind of implement some neat ideas and creative ways to keep the students engaged, but still give them um, something for, for that thirst of knowledge that they have and teach them more about horses and horsemanship. Well, Courtney, I love that because so many people think, well, I can't be a riding instructor because I only have an outdoor arena and it rains a lot and it snows a lot and I won't make enough money. La, la, la. Stop that knowledge of thought right there because you have so much in your brain. You can teach even if they're not riding. And this is a perfect example. And you should charge the same amount of money for if you're teaching something when they're not riding, right? And that's the key. It's overall horsemanship. And I just love that you teach that when you have the not so good weather days. Good for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So give us some ideas of some of the stuff that you teach very specifically and how you teach it creatively so that the kids are engaged and um, a part of the journey. Yeah, absolutely. So just a couple of little things that we have kind of come up with, and it's it's really funny and interesting how some of these ideas present themselves. Um, sometimes it's those three o'clock in the morning looking at the ceiling going, hmm, what can I do now in my lesson program to keep it entertaining, especially with students that you've had for a long time and they may be with a group that are taking in new information and learning new information or seeing it for the first time, but they've seen it multiple times. So trying to create some type of system that, or activities that are engaging for those who may already know some of the material, but that they can kind of step up and also incorporate some of that leadership roles and character building skills within that group of the lesson group that they're learning as well. So, um, Sometimes that can get challenging and creative, but there's all kinds of of neat things and neat ways of doing that. Um, A couple of little things that we have incorporated has been we did a a skit that incorporated teaching repro to our kids. And it was so much fun and how we went about it. And this was a a younger group that we kind of we taught this to. And we were able to really get into kind of the nitty gritty of the mare being in cycle and how that process worked. And we even turned it into a little bit of a um, bachelorette for our mare here at the barn that went, we bred this, this season. And so the kids were able to follow that through her whole breeding season through falling out. And we kept them engaged here at the barn. And then they participated in kind of a mock skit that we're going to show and, and talk about during our um, during the presentation for our at the conference, but it was a lot of fun because while they were having fun playing the parts of the veterinarian and the horse owner and the worried barn manager, they got to be able to put themselves in that row and and think about 
about what, uh, learn about what that process was about and um, kind of able to throw in even some of the technical things for repro to help them grasp those concepts for the younger kids who really don't understand and may not uh, be able to take in the terminology, but they understood the importance of it and how the processes work and incorporating, you know, knowledgeable personnel as far as their vet or their barn manager or if they're a horse owner and the selection process of finding the right stallion to match with their mare. So it was a lot of fun and we had a had a great time. We even had t-shirts made and um, it was a fun way to kind of incorporate learning more about just reproduction of the horse. And then we were able to turn that in for our older kids and get to leave them a little bit more specific with that so that they understood it on a more in-depth and um, understand the reproduction system of the horse a little bit more as well. What a great idea and how much fun to be able to do that. I know uh, we had last year at conference, we always do our YouTube videos that we were just talking about with Dr. Bob for 4-Hers to be able to go on and see. And there's one up there that you guys are going to want to check out. And Courtney, this just reminded me of it. Susan Garside did one on the um, digestive tract of the horse. And she talked about the colon and the cecum and the intestines and how they're a mile long if you were to actually take them out of the horse and lay them down in a straight line. And she did it all with um, garden hoses. And it was so yes. cool. She had a bunch of people holding up garden hoses and truly showing kind of that kind of concept. And it's all in the video. So everyone go to CHA.horse and go check that one out because that's that's pretty fun. And another thing where if you sat down and went, we're going to talk about reproduction of the horse today, they'd be like, seriously, we're going to talk about the digestive tract of the horse, seriously. But if you do stuff right. like that, so creative. Yes. I love and, it. you know, it's awesome to be able to take those types of concepts that sometimes it's hard for them um, you know, I teach primarily youth, so it's hard for some of these youth to understand that abstract idea of some of these more scientific things. And even something as simple as teaching, one of our activities we do when we teach nutrition is teaching them how to measure and weigh the horse to be able to figure out how much feed they need to feed for that horse. And so one of the concepts that we have done as well is taking those kids and putting as many we do this at camp because we have enough kids to be able to do it generally but we take all those kids and we stand them up together and we're like okay we weigh each kid and we figure this horse is you know 950 pounds and then we take the weight of each child and we add it together and they get to add all that together and they get in a big cluster and they figure out oh wow this is how much a horse weighs because they see you know maybe 20 kids standing there in one group and it takes that many of them to be able to have the horse's weight so doing things like that can kind of help give them a little bit more of an understanding and concept and it's fun you know it's kind of fun it's neat and they can make it more um, relatable to the information that we're giving them as well I love it so what resources do you use to come up with these unique ways to teach these basics well, I am one who likes to pick, steal, borrow, and beg from anybody and everyone I know. <laughs> so I take ideas from just about every resource that I can find it. Obviously, our 4-H and our extension is probably one of the biggest resources that we use to kind of help us with ideas or instead of why create recreate the wheel if they've already done something and then we can take those activities or that material they have and incorporate it into our program. So being very aware of our extension agencies um, within our state and our counties and utilizing those 4-H um, agents and volunteers are very important to our program. We also really reach out a lot to our FFA teachers and our ag teachers within our high schools because they have some great um, teaching and education resources available to them that we may not have as riding instructors that are readily available to us. So reaching out to them, and sometimes even I even have them come and do um, little guest teaching lectures or, you know, special appearances that they may teach or help me with something that I may not be as well versed in, but they are a lot better at than I am. So I'll invite them in to kind of help us with certain and specific activities, in, you know, from horse judging or livestock management, anything like that, that I can take um, away from and add, and add to our program by using that knowledge and experience that they have. So those are some great, just readily available resources we have. And even reaching into just, I have some great resources with teachers within our parents and our student population um, that we have in our program that are already teachers in schools. It's amazing some of the activities that they do and use in school settings in their everyday education that 
we can turn around and implement that within our lesson program by just tweaking the material and making it horse related. So those are always some great just reaching out to other people and kind of networking and finding some ideas and also just sharing with other instructors. I think sometimes as riding instructors, we forget that we are a community that are there to help each other. We all have the same goal in mind. So reaching out to other instructors and taking ideas from them, that's been the, the great thing with CHA that I have found. It has connected me with other people across the country that I would have never have met or known had it not been from, from being involved with CHA. So being able to connect with those other instructors are also a great way to get some fresh and new ideas or maybe even share some of my ideas that can help someone else and, and or even let them say, oh, that's fantastic. But what if you also did this? And then you can even make your, your great activity even better because you have more minds to help um, build those activities and make them more productive. Well, Courtney, we so appreciate you sharing on our uh, conference next week on the 30th. And I know that you're going to get into much more specifics and we're going to have a big PowerPoint presentation and things like that. But what can participants expect to see from that? What are some other things that you're going to be sharing that day? So what we plan to kind of share is just about building a little bit of what we need to, the, the important things of having when you're creating a lesson plan or activity that's not going to be involving maybe riding or that physical horse. What are some things to keep in mind um, when you're building that activity so that you make sure you reach each type of learner? Also, just different types of activities that we have found and we use and see how they have worked. Uh, we're going to share some of those to hopefully maybe give some people some new ideas or stimulate that creative mind for themselves of going, oh, this would be great. I could incorporate this or, oh, I could take this and use it in this situation at, in my program and it would be you know, very beneficial to, to my students. So those are some um, things that we plan to to share and some little video clips and things that we have done. So you can kind of see that uh, even the best well laid out plans may not always go as planned, but the kids still have a good time and they still get something out of it. And that's, that is what our end goal is, is for them to have fun and learn something in the process. Well, we are so excited to have you on. That's going to be so much fun. So in the meantime, um, how do people find out more about you? Let's say that they live there in Tennessee and they want to learn more, maybe even come to your barn. How do they locate you? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a website. It's needahandhorsetraining.com. So they can find us on the web by going to our website. And we're also on Facebook. And our Facebook is needahandht. Wonderful. And you know, too, everyone listening, you can always go to our site at cha.horse and look up anybody that's current with us. So you can look up Courtney and you can also look up Dr. Bob, who he, we had on today as well. So thank you so much for being on today, Courtney. I so appreciate your energy because you know you're going at the end of the day on Friday the 30th. Yeah. And uh, so the people that have stayed on all day, like myself, are going to need your enthusiasm. So I'm really glad that you're at the end of the day. That's going to work out super. And I think you have like an IEA thing you have to do during the day and then you're coming on. So you're going to be very busy. Yes, we we are. We have quite, we have a busy weekend, but it'll be fun and it'll be exciting. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Well, that's wonderful. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today, Courtney. We appreciate you. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Courtney. See ya. Bye. So Jen, I have to chime in here when she said utilizing your resources. So I, I've always told my boys that from the time they were little, utilize your resources, right? You don't have to be the smartest or the best. Utilize your resources to come up with the answers to things and then you're going to succeed in life. So the other day in virtual learning land that we still have going on here in Aurora, Colorado, I go walking by uh, where Kyle, my youngest, who's a freshman in high school, is doing his virtual learning, and he is utilizing his resources. And here's how it goes. Alexa, what's the capital of Belize? <laughs> that is him utilizing his resources. So when he's done with virtual class, I go, so Kyle... What was that today? He goes, that was a geography test. I'm like, oh, great. All righty then. <laughs> <laughs> so that is how we are virtual learning here at the Landware Home. Alexa has now become the teacher. Well, yes, you know, when you, think, when you think about it, in so many parts of our lives, knowing the answer is not necessarily the most important part. True. Knowing where to look to get the answer is important. True. 
I would 100% agree with you. So I just smiled at it because he was like, am I in trouble? I go, oh no, you're utilizing your resources. And he laughed and I laughed and we had a good time. That's right. You know, if, if in, in certain parts of your life, knowing the capital of Belize might be important, but for someone who is in high school, learning about capitals of different places is knowing that Belize is the, what Belize's capital is important. For example, knowing what a horse's normal temperature is, is probably something anybody who takes care of or owns horses should know right off the top of their head. Right. True. Knowing, um, what the name of all of the bones inside the horse's hoof are for your average horse owner or horse caregiver Probably not something he needs to know off the top of his head, but knowing enough about animal horse anatomy to be able to go and find the answer either from a human being or a book or the internet, that's important, right? You have to know enough to be able to ask a good question. I agree 100%. Right? There you go. So you, you learn to utilize resources, understand how resources work. And understand that you need to know the source from which it came. Yes, exactly. Understand how to vet out a resource. Correct. And especially in the day and age of the internet, I think that people using the internet now, because it's always been around, like my children, are learning that pretty quickly. Like, if you want to find out if salt is good for you, the Salt Association of America is probably (laughs) going to go ahead and tell you to use maybe a little bit more in your uh, recipes than you really need. For example... Right. So, yes. So those whole learning your source sites is very key. Should I call the vet when my horse is looking a little bit weird is not the place is is Facebook the place to go for that answer? Right. Probably not. (laughs) 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 And definitely not those Facebook group pages that will tell you their opinions to nauseam. Probably not those either. Now, if you go to AAEP's Facebook page, the American Association of Equine Practitioners, actual Facebook group page, then perhaps. Perhaps. Yes. (laughs) There we go. Well, this, once again, has been a great and fun and fascinating deep dive into how we learn about horses, why we learn about horses, who learns about horses, etc. Once again, where can people find out more about the Certified Horsemanship Association and all the many great things it does? Yes, please go to CHA.horse. We're not a .com or a .org anymore. We're just a .horse, so CHA.horse. And when you get there, go ahead and check out our silent auction. It runs till November 2nd. Great items to bid on. Go ahead and check out our international conference. If you want to come, just put HRN in the priority code box to get the discount. And then check out all the things Dr. Bob was talking about in regards to our videos and webinars and things. They're all there for you. There we go. And to follow... Along with Horses in the Morning, you can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just type in there, Horses in the Morning. You can go to the website and see all the episodes, all 10 years worth, horsesinthemorning.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is Horse Radio. If you are listening to this program on your computer, old school, you can also listen on your phone by downloading the free Horse Radio Network app. It works on iPhone and Android. If you don't know how to do that, find a nine-year-old. They'll know how. <laughs> Go to your yes, app store will. and search Horse Radio Network. We will be back again tomorrow with more new content on Horses in the Morning, Fun and Hijinks. Just uh, tune in then, and uh, we'll see you next month, Christy. Bye, Jen. <laughs>